This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They live in the sewer. Yes, they do. And enjoy it. (laughs) They relish in it. Mackey and Judd. And the way they walk with their back end up in the air, that's just plain evil. (laughs) It's just gross. On 1500 ESPN. Logan Morrison drives it to left. Mancini retreating. That ball's back and gone. Morrison to the other way. I thought he had a good night. You know, he mixed in enough change-ups and sliders to, to keep him guessing a little bit. Uh, you know, gave up the home run to scope there on a, on a fastball. But, um, you know, mostly it was good. You know, we, we talked a little bit about trying to extend him, but, you know, you, give, you get 18 outs from a guy with three hits and one run. Um, I thought it was a good note. Turn it over to the bullpen and see if we could hold on. Twins back on the winning path, baby. Oh, Aaron beat those, Sleggers. Beat those AAA Orioles. Congratulations. Yes. Boy, that that's a pillow fight series here. Uh, the artist formerly known as Curse of Punto, his name is Jake DePew, and he writes about the Twins and does a lot of coverage of the Twins minor league system at 1500ESPN.com. Um, I suppose we could just talk for 15 minutes about the new staff ace, Aaron Sleggers, Jake, if you want to. Absolutely. Let's. Let, yes, that's what I want to do, talk for 15 minutes about Aaron Sleggers, definitely. He's tall. I, I don't know if you guys have heard that uh, before. But <laughs> they pointed that out tall. last night on Fox Sports North. Yeah, he's yeah, very tall. He's a tall guy. He is very tall, yes. Yeah. It's all elbows and knees and things like that. So you you caught up? Uh, did you catch up with Byron in Rochester, or was it one of their one of their road games? No, yeah, road game in uh, Pawtucket. So I I live in Boston, and Pawtucket's about forty five minutes away. So I just uh, drove on down there. So what were the things like? This has been. I don't think anyone expected this. I think if you would have said, "Yeah, Buxton kind of struggled a little bit early on," but for 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 him to have been demoted. And to have been optioned, which is what happened after the rehab assignment. I mean, he's down there not because he's hurt still. He's down there because he's having trouble making contact. And there's been a, a sort of a blend of injuries and lack of productivity. But you had a one-on-one conversation with him. And people can read the whole thing at 1500ESPN.com. What were a couple of things that really stood out to you from his perspective? Yeah, so I mean, from his perspective, he, he's had a really star-crossed you know, start to, to 2018. And... You know, we can rip him for the lack of offensive production, and, and, and that's certainly valid. But when you take a step back and look at it from his perspective, he had migraine headaches, which, if you read the article, the way he described them, they're, they're pretty terrible. You know, he was in a dark room for three days, basically couldn't move. So he had that, and then immediately broke his toe, um, and, and they rushed him back. And, you know, I think the Twins, in retrospect, really botched that one to, to rush him back when not only was he still hurt, but he hadn't had a rehab assignment. Um, and he basically just said that he wasn't himself. He couldn't hit the way he wanted to because of the toe. And I think there is some validity to that. Like, yes, he, again, has struggled in stretches. He's also hit at a really high level in stretches, like the second half of last year. Um, but uh, he basically said he, he couldn't get his timing right. He couldn't stride into the ball the way he wanted to. And, and it does make sense. I mean, for anybody, hitting with a broken toe, I think, would be a, a difficult task. And so when you combine that with, Again, the lack of rehab and, and the fact that he's still not totally polished at the plate, it, it led to you know the total lack of production that we saw in, in May before he was sent down. 
So, Jake, how uh, concerned should the Twins be, and how concerned is Buxton about the fact that uh, since his return and with him staying uh, down uh, at AAA after being optioned, he is uh, still at only 204 through last night? Yeah, I mean, it's still a small sample size. He's played, what, 15 games down in AAA. So I, I think given the fact that he's barely played in the first three months of the year uh, and when he has played, he was hurt, I think we just need to give him time. And and he basically said that that you know he's down there to, to work on work out the kinks and obviously there's concern. I mean the numbers are what they are, but I also think that we tend to to look at just what's happened this year and discount the fact that the last four months of last year he was an MVP candidate. I mean he was the Defensive Player of the Year and slugging over 500. So I I think we need to just give him maybe you know it might be a, not until September that he comes back up, but. There's concern there, but I also think there's still a lot of talent. I think he still has the potential to be a superstar. So um, I would be surprised if he doesn't figure it out at some point in Rochester. Uh, and the other thing is he's always been a slow starter, historically. If you, if you look back at his minor league numbers, you know, back when he was in double-A and single-A, he was always a really slow starter. Um, so the fact that he's just now finally getting consistent reps in July uh, means that we just, I think, it's kind of a lost season for him, and, and we just yeah. need to... to See how it plays out, but but I do think he'll turn it around at least to some extent at some point here through through the summer. Uh, the artist formerly known as Curse of Punto is with us, Jake DePew. You can follow him on Twitter. You can read his stuff at fifteen hundred ESPN dot com and his conversation with Byron Buxton. So individual baseball players don't have nearly the same influence over wins and losses for a team as let's say LeBron James for a basketball team or a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, so I, I would never say that one player will make or break a franchise. I mean, Mike Trout's as close as it gets in baseball. But I do think Byron Buxton holds a really, really high level of importance just based on what he could be offensively, what he has been in the minor leagues, and how much he impacts the game at maybe the most important defensive position. So with all of that said, how important do you think he is to the franchise's success the next three to five years? I mean, if if he if he clicks... Maybe they win a division next year. If he doesn't, I don't know what they do in center field. What are your thoughts on on his level of importance one way or the other? Oh, I mean, I think you could argue he's the single most important piece to to their success over the next three to five years. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he was Mike Trout in the last three months of the season last year. Uh, his num- I mean, maybe not quite offensively, but his numbers were really good and, and his defense was better. So... Um, if he can get back to that and be at that level consistently, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that he could make enough of an impact that, that it could, you know, he could be, I mean, he was a five-war player, according to baseball reference last year, right? Mm-hmm. So if he could put that together for a full season, he would be an MVP candidate, and I think he could, uh, you know, sort of push them over the, over the top in a, in a weak division. Um, and if he turns out to be a total bust, it's a huge loss for them, especially combined with, with what's going on with Sano. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the future obviously rests on Buxton. Um, but, but the good news with him is that you know that he's going to work hard, right? So as opposed to somebody like Sano where there are legit questions about that, I don't think there's any question about his work ethic um, or, you know, his desire to win. And, and the fact that he played through that broken toe you know, I don't know that a lot of guys would have done that, especially if your whole game is predicated on speed. And, and he came back way before he was ready to, to try to help the team and was, you know, sprinting into outfield walls in, in Seattle. And um, so, yeah, I mean, he, the work ethic is there. The, his attitude is right. It's just a matter of, of figuring it out offensively and, and being consistent with it. So, 
I guess that's a long way of saying he's probably the most important piece in, in my view. Hey Jake, for their success. Hey Jake, if there's one thing uh, that you that you see uh, them working with uh, Byron on down there at the plate, what is that? Are, are they trying to get because when he's going good, he's Absolutely fine, but he seems to be a guy whose confidence can wane. He seems to be a guy whose approach can change. So if they're trying to get one thing consistent before he comes back here, what do you think that thing is? Honestly, I think it's just figuring out what his mechanics are because he. It's I wrote about it in the article, but he switched to a leg kick for like the first 10 games that he was back down there. So he had a leg kick in 2016 uh, when he was hitting all those home runs. That was in September, so you have to take that with a grain of salt, but... He, he had the leg kick, and he hit for a ton of power in September of 16. Then he had the leg kick to start 17. He wasn't making contact. Rousen worked with him and eliminated the leg kick, and, it, and he figured it all out. Um, and now, down there, he went back to the leg kick uh, for the first few games and then eliminated it again. So there seems to be a, a little bit of confusion on his part and maybe on the organization's part about finding consistent mechanics for him and just sticking with it. So the latest is that he's back to the swing he had at the start of this year, which is which is no leg kick. Uh, but clearly it's it's still a work in progress with his mechanics. So he has to find something consistent that works for him where he can make solid contact and, and uh, get the home run or get the uh, the strikeout right down. It, it feels like in his mind, man, the leg kick would afford me all this power and I can you know because he is capable of hitting twenty five or thirty home runs if he were to put the bat on the ball. But step yeah. one, step one at this point especially has to be, dude, just put the put the bat on the on the ball. And if I hate the fact that you might be limiting a guy's power if he can if he can put up big slugging numbers. But for him, if he can't hit the ball in the major leagues, it doesn't matter how much power he has. So like build that base. And we thought that he did that a year or two ago. Well, actually, it was about mid June of last year where he started hitting the ball up the middle into right field with that quick little compact swing. And yep. and then he, his goal was to hit a line drive at the second baseman. That was his goal at the plate. And then he obviously got away from it. But don't you think that makes sense? Hit the ball first, and then later in your career, if you want to add some power, awesome. Absolutely. And he even said that. He said, maybe later in my career I will go back to the light kick once I've figured out my, my swing a little bit more. But, yeah, his goal should be to hit line drives. And obviously, you know, in the launch angle – revolution that we're in you don't want to tell guys to hit the ball on the ground but if there's anybody that you would that you would tell that to it would be him right like i mean him hitting ground balls is not the worst thing in the world because with his speed he can force Aaron throws and 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 he can get on base and beat out a lot of hits that that most guys can't but but yeah i mean his goal should just be to to make contact at this point and and worry about the power later yeah if you want to read uh the, the the full interview jake depew sat down talked to byron buxton out in pawtucket he's down in the minor leagues trying to figure things out 1500ESPN.com, and you can follow Jake to at Jake DePue, D-E-P-U-E, on Twitter. We'll catch up soon, man. Great Thanks stuff, for coming Jake. Out. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Talk right. to you. Uh, the artist formerly known as Curse of Punto. Let's come back and talk about that. I'm so annoyed right now. Okay. <laughs> it's such BS. <laughs> uh, we're also uh, we're reading, Pat's, Pat just posted an article on StarTribune.com, a big, a big defense of Tom Thibodeau that felt like it was directed right at this show specifically. Glad we could give him some. some well, we ideas. steal from him. He we, steals from us. Let me get to that. That's later, all good. Dude. Now back to Mackie and Judd. If anyone wants to clap, now is the time to do it. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on fifteen hundred ESPN. Kepler with a diving catch in short right field. 
Nice. And Kane makes a great catch up against the wall in center field. Dozier going back and makes a nice catch with his back to the infield. It was good to see a game that had a little more feeling of uh, normalcy to it in terms of the flow. I thought our at-bats were pretty good even though we didn't have a ton of offense. Um, and Aaron really picked us up, you know, to come in and uh, have to start a homestand knowing we came off the trip that we did and his pits as well as he did. Um, it was good. 11-game homestand started last night with a win against AAA Baltimore. They're in town for two more games. And then what's, Norfolk? Got dub- what, what's Norfolk then? Are they AAA too? And then AA Kansas City comes to town. So if you don't win some games, something's, something is worse than, than I thought, and it's already bad. This Buxton thing drives me crazy. I did not realize... I read Jake's piece, but I guess I did not. It did not uh, register in this braid of mine that the, he had gone. They had gone back when when he went back to uh, AAA, and he started with the leg kick back again. and came back from the toe. That he started with the leg kick again. Mm-hmm. That okay, that drives me nuts. I will criticize everyone in the organization for that. We determined how long ago that that was not a good idea. We determined he tried it. It didn't work. We talked to to people who know a lot more about baseball than us, Roy Smalley, about it. A couple of years ago, we discussed the whole thing and talked about it and went through it and why it didn't work and why why Byron Buxton, for, for his own sake, should keep things as simple as possible. And this was determined. And then you went back to Rochester to try to get yourself right, and you went back to something that you used two years ago, which we knew didn't work. This, this to me is inexcusable. You are looking at a top level prospect here who's reaching a very, a pretty critical juncture. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know enough about like what hitting mechanics are going to work or not work for him, but I, Simple. My, my best guess is that, that he's trying to get to whatever is the most comfortable. And sometimes that could change. I mean, Cal Ripken had a new batting stance every two weeks. So it does. So there are guys who can and fluctuate back and forth. Changed his a lot too at, at one time. Sure. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with like, well, let's try. Let's try and find something that works. But in general, the thing that seemed to work the best last year around this time was this sort of quick up the middle opposite field approach. Mm-hmm. And then if there's a breaking ball, so so it's sort of fastball up the middle away, and then and then breaking ball just you know way back on it, and you might wind up hitting a home run once in a while, as opposed to yes. big leg kick, preserve the power. For him, he's looking through his, I'm sure, his minor league resume in his head, and he's thinking, God, I mean, every level I was mashing. There was a couple of years where he might have been on pace to hit 20, 30 home runs, and he certainly has the power and, uh, and the framework to do that. But if you can't make contact on a regular basis first, it doesn't matter if you have power or not, we're that's be that. welcome to Chris Davis and Logan Morrison and Miguel Sano. But I think I think for for his sake, with as much as his uh, confidence can fluctuate, and for up and down as he can be, especially here, I think he needs to simplify things as much as possible. Yeah. And and this this goes back to what I what we've been talking about for months now, which is Byron Buxton needs to hit. If he hits two fifty five, two sixty, I'll take it. If he can come up here and hit two sixty, so we're not talking about a lot of power. We're talking about a guy who, when he puts the ball in play, mm-hmm. makes fielders miserable because mm-hmm. he just runs so damn fast. So let's let's simplify things as much as possible. I think the worst thing that this guy does and that he has done since the day he got here is thinks too much and has too many people try and weigh in with, you should use the leg kick. No, you shouldn't. You should do this. What he needs to do is keep things as simple as possible, and what he needs to do is put the bat on the ball and run because when he does, he's going to get on base. 
Yeah, so it that, is. That annoys me. I understand. I, I do understand the conflict that you don't want to take a guy and just like all of a sudden he's bunting and slapping it around, but you got to start somewhere. And we're sitting here. He's 24 years old. I don't need power. I'll, I'll tell you that right yeah, now. He's in AAA. Like he's, he's got to figure out something. Uh, I want to switch gears for just a second here. I just want to read you a couple excerpts from Patrick's column that just popped on StarTribune.com, mm-hmm. sort of in defense of Tom Thibodeau. So he he went a few weeks ago and had a little informal sit down for like a few hours, and he tweeted about this. It's not it's not a secret. He tweeted about it, and he sat down with Tom Thibodeau and he pulled a few things from that conversation and wrote a column today. I'm going to read you a few lines and you respond to them, okay? Because right. sometimes I feel like Pat puts together these columns. And it's a direct response to, to topics on our show or things that are brought up on our show. So and it's usually it's like him disagreeing. So him and Tom Thibodeau have sort of an affection for each other that goes back maybe even two or three decades to when Tibbs was here the first time yeah, around. Tibbs definitely likes him. Yeah. yeah, Tibbs likes Pat and Pat sees some things in Tibbs that, that he likes as well. So here's what he wrote. Uh, the Wolves' increase in attendance and, uh, and excitement, a share of that increase could be traced to a remodeling of Target Center and the long-awaited arrival of edible concessions. But the most, uh, most of it was based on the acquisition of Jimmy Butler, the bold acquisition of Jimmy Butler. Uh, the Wolves had beaten the customers to a bloody pulp for 13 straight non-playoff seasons, and the task for Tom Thibodeau was to get fans back in the building, and it was a much greater task than anything faced with Let's say the Wild uh, Hockey Club, for instance. Uh, Tibbs says, I think what attracts fans is winning games. I don't think it is consistently uh, rebuilding. The man affectionately known as Tibbs to his scores of admirers in the coaching business, from Bill Belichick to Mike Krzyzewski to Josh Pastner at Georgia Tech, didn't stop with Butler last summer. He upgraded with Jeff Teague, upgraded uh, with Taj Gibson, et cetera, et cetera. Your thoughts on, are we being too hyper-focused on some of the reports and the friction with, just like the general friction with the organization? How can can Patrick write a column that includes a mention of Coach K and there's no gratuitous cheap shot? That's my first question. (laughs) How can there be no, no parenthetical cheap shot? I mean, when's the last time that Patrick Royce wrote that guy's name and didn't take some sort of sideways shot? Uh, no, I think it's just all in the, I, I believe it's all in the eye of the beholder to how you perceive the situation. But I'll go back to what, what we've been talking about, which is, and this is not just Tibbs. It's Tibbs, but it's also Butler. And to me, they are, their approach to the guy who is, who should be the star player, which is Cat on this team, is incredibly flawed. And I don't think it should take that much to see that. Has Tibbs improved this team? Absolutely. You go from, what, 31 wins to 46 wins, up 15 wins, 16 wins? So, yes, he's definitely improved this team. But as far as turning a corner, I think the most important part to that is Cat. And I don't understand for the life of me what these two are doing. And there's no question in my mind that even if it's not a direct leak from, from Tibbs to reporters... It's Butler's people who are basically speaking on behalf of Tibbs to convey a message that they are not pleased with how Cat is is going about things. And even if that's fine and accurate, my problem with that is this is not the way to do it. There are some people who deserve to be called out. And when they are, it's great. And they deserve to be called out publicly. And if they're embarrassed, that's fine. I think the best approach to Carl Anthony Towns right now has nothing to do with any of this getting out. Yes. So that's how I, that's why 
I, I agree with Pat. Tibbs has improved things. But if this franchise is going to turn another corner and these guys are all going to stay together, I think it's being I think it's being approached in the wrong way. And yes, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. And I'll add to that. There's there's a straw man argument here. The straw man argument is, well, these people who regret the Jimmy Butler trade or like don't give. Well, I mean, he brought in Jimmy Butler. Yeah, we all agree. That was awesome. And Jimmy Butler's a super fun player to watch, and he's one of the better players in the NBA when he's on the court. And that's becoming you know, an increasingly bigger elephant in the room, the fact that he's banged up and he's got knee problems and he's getting older and he's playing all these minutes and those things. But I don't think anyone is really saying, maybe a small, small percentage of people are still lamenting the loss of Chris Dunn and Zach Levine and maybe Laurie Markkinen, but almost everyone agrees, yes, we'll take the winning for last year. Yes, we'll take the Jimmy Butler trade. The angst... And the questions and the concerns are about the way the season sort of played itself out, the way that Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins didn't really mesh together behind the scenes, and Butler leaking these stories through his agent to the Chicago Sun Times and Brian Windhorst. It's like it's everything that's been building and looking ahead to what the future could be. And it's also post traumatic stress syndrome, just being a Wolves fan and watching everything collapse for the better part of three decades, you're just wondering, what's the end game here? Like, that's awesome. You made the playoffs. That's great. And, and I don't think we would trade that. You know, whatever. Like, build off that. But how do you build off that? You don't build off that with ripping this potential generationally great player through the media. You don't build off that with a roster full of old veterans and bloated contracts. And like, I think people are looking at the Western conference saying, yeah, this is a mountain. Don't just stand in the ring toe to toe. Like what's your, what's your plan for the next three to five years? And it's hard. It's hard to see it beyond this season. That's where a lot of my angst comes from, which is, wait, are you alienating the guy who's going to be here for eight to 10 years, maybe in favor of a team and a, and a, and a current core of veterans and Jimmy Butler that might not be here 12 months from now. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And just Tom Thibodeau's general I was countenance say, and his demeanor. The and, way he the way he coaches games, if if you watch the best coaches now in that league and, and the way that Tibbs himself goes about coaching games, it couldn't be more opposite. It couldn't be more different. Uh, and the other thing is this. Are you going to change your style? I mean, th- this might be the most important question. Are you going to change your style to be able to be competitive with the way that the NBA runs now? Because if you're not, you're going to continue to to try and and work your butt off to get two pointers. You're going to continue to try to play good d- defense, which they did not last year. But but you would hope that that would improve. Um, but if you're not going to morph your style to be more in tune with what the game is now, I don't see how you can possibly be competitive with the best teams mm-hmm. for for the long term. I can see how you can beat them during the season on a Sunday afternoon like the Wolves did with Golden State. But if you put them in a playoff series like you had against Houston, you tell me, how is the current how is the current way that you go about playing basketball going to ever beat a team like the Rockets? So I'm willing to make a deal here with, with Patrick and with, with everyone. I'm done for the most part. I'm done bitching about the Timberwolves for now. All right, they're coming off a forty-seven another win season. Story in two weeks. They're they're coming off a, a a winning season. They went to the playoffs. They've got stars on their roster. They have made some tweaks that are interesting. I do like Anthony Tolliver as a role player, as a as a behind the scenes guy. 
Uh, Okogi could be an interesting piece, first round draft pick. Like, and they could still add a couple of veteran minimum contracts. Yep. Let's see what happens. I mean, let's let it play out. I'm not with you at all. I make no such promise. You're going to keep complaining. There will be another story within a month. There will be another story from a credible reporter that will that will cause you to shake your head and say, "You got to be kidding me." Okay, like Carl Anthony Towns. Yes, there'll be something. something else. This is not going to end now. But this if, is not if they lock end him here. in, if they lock Carl Anthony Towns into a max well, contract, it eases a lot of the angst of, "Oh my God, does he like it here? Why? Why is there strife?" Here's the here's why your him problem. And Butler keep going back and forth. The problem the problem is Tibbs, but it's not Tibbs to the public. The problem is the Butler camp. Stuff's not stuff is going to continue to come out from the Butler camp. They can't help it themselves. And and this no this notion that's just so silly as well, Jimmy Butler's going to tell Cat. No, he's already told Cat. I get that. But then just to hammer the point home, the Butler camp likes to make sure we all know too. Mm-hmm. And within a month or a month and a half, there will be something else from Jimmy Butler's people that will be an unnamed source to do with the team. And and I'm not the, sure what's left to say if issue, you're Jimmy Butler. It'll keep going back. It'll, it's going to keep going back and forth. It's there's, gonna, there's like there's literally nothing left to say. Okay, I want these guys to play harder. I thought there was harder. nothing left to say this time. There was nothing left to say this <laughs> week, guess. and it came out. Yeah, it is I, annoying. I make no such promise because. This is this is drama that this franchise doesn't need, and if you are going to have a franchise that's going to operate at the at the level that it should, this stuff shouldn't be happening. Which is really funny because the Tibbs laden uh, 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 twosome hates leaks, and yet the leaks that are coming out basically involve their favorite player. Yeah, well, that's why it's hypocritical. We're not going to leak. Any, we're not going to leak anything. Did someone say to you that the only first round draft pick that Woj didn't leak? Was the Timberwolves' first round draft I pick? I did hear that. Yeah, he the, didn't leak that one. I don't know if that was the only, but I think it was the only. If one. It wasn't the only. It was one of the very few. Yeah. So the organization hates leaks to the point where Woj can't even drop a Woj bomb in the first <laughs> round on the Wolves. Yet, hey, you know what? Jimmy Butler, anonymous sources, you go rip Towns all you want to, man. Go rip Wiggins. That's what and I'm I, saying. And I'm okay with the Wiggins ripping because that guy does need a fire lit under his ass. But <laughs> you know, that's what I'm saying. You'll be back within a month and a half. <laughs> All right, let's play a game show here. We need one contestant, right? We just need one contestant. Just one. All right, caller five is going to have a chance. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios, back in just a couple minutes. Phil Mackie. When will I know I'm a man? Your mom and I will tell you. Judd Zolgad. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Game Show Friday! It is Game Show Friday with Mackie and Judd! Here are your hosts, Bill Mackie and Judd Zolgad! the first time in a few weeks we've had uh, all of us together full strength for a game show Friday. Yeah, it has been a while. Thank you. Yep. Why'd you do that? Why'd you play that? Very nice. People are excited to see you. Uh, We've got Gregory on the line for a chance to win uh, one of, I don't know, two or three things, whatever whatever he wants to pick here. A pair of three-day general admission X Game tickets with music access and X Game prize pack included. Also, we have a copy of the digital HD download of The Quiet Place, starring John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, and assorted T-shirts and koozies. We always have koozies available. So many koozies. Right. And the 1500 ESPN prize locker. And uh, we'll get Greg on the line here before we determine which game we're playing. Greg, Gregory, you there? 
Yes, I am. What's going on? How do you feel about... Well, let's do this. Dave, what game was Gregory going to be playing today? Gregory not only was, but he is going to be playing a very special July 4th United States trivia edition of either Stump the Punk or Stump the Slob. All right. Oh, it's back. Been a while. Gregory, do you love uh, America? That is a very tough choice. Do you love America, Gregory? Yes. How much do you love America? How much do you know about America? Are you a history teacher? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. okay. Neither are we, so. <laughs> no, we have. I have. <laughs> no shot. It's a good press. All right, so you get to pick your opponent. Would you like to face off against the slob, Judd, or uh, the punk, me? I believe I'll take the punk. All right. Let's do this. The punk. Oh, wow. Right, I'm gonna leave the, the first upset of the day has you're, been recorded. You're sure. You're sure. I wasn't expecting to have to read these questions. Right, this is going to be embarrassing for me. So I think the speaker's on out there. I'm going to bring all my right. headphones out and just kind of wander. So I'll look for you, Dave. And all right. Well, you just hustle out there. Make sure Johnny Hyde turns it off or something. Phil is exiting the studio right now. Judd, you have the questions in front of you. Are you uh, ready to rattle them off to Gregory one by one? I am indeed. I am indeed. Gregory, are you set to start as Phil has put the headphones on? Yes, I am. Question number one. Independence Day was first established as a holiday by Congress in what year? And I will give you the choices and then you give me the correct choice. 1776. 1804, 1848, or 1870? And Dave, I'll go. Yes? I'll go uh, the 1884. All right. You had 1848 or 1870, you mean? Yeah, 48. 48. 1848. We'll go through the answers once he's done. Yes, let's go through the questions first. 56 delegates of the Second Continental Congress signed the Declaration of Independence. Who was the president of that Continental Congress that is assumed to have signed the document first, Gregory? Hmm, I'm going to go with John Adams. All right, let me okay. jot that down as well. Of the first five U.S. presidents, which two signed the Declaration of Independence? And I will give you the choices and then you give me the two. Okay. George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe. <laughs> now I'm going back to John Adams again. Okay. And give me another one, because it's it's two. So, um Jefferson. All right. Question number four. The ninth president of the US, William Henry Harrison, died in office of pneumonia. He served the shortest term of any U.S. president. How long did he serve? Multiple choice again. One week, one month, six months, or one year for William Henry Harrison? Uh, six months. All right. George Washington's oath of office took place at Federal Hall in which American city? Oh. I'm gonna go with Willie. No, I'm gonna go with Gettysburg. All right, Gettysburg. And Dave, I take it the last one is a tiebreaker. No, is that the last correct? one can be asked. I have a separate tiebreaker. 
All right. Despite what Frank Caliendo's John Gruden impersonation says, Christopher Columbus's ships that sailed to America were not named the Ninja, the Pinto, and the Santa Monica. What were their names? What were the names of uh, Columbus's ships that sailed to America? Uh, let's see here. <laughs> I would have no chance. The uh, Pinta? Yep, three seconds or so. Santa Monica? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll have to pass on that one. All right. All right. All right. Those are six questions. Should we go through them before? You uh, can uh, go through them briefly while I grab uh, retrieve Phil from the uh, office here somewhere. Okay. Question number one. Independence Day was first established as a holiday by Congress in what year? It was actually 1870, Gregory. Uh, 56 delegates of the Second Continental Congress signed the Declaration of Independence. Who was the president of that Continental Congress that is assumed to have signed the document first? That would be not John Adams, but John Hancock. Of the first five U.S. presidents, which two signed the Declaration of Independence? You got that right, Adams and Jefferson. The ninth president of the U.S., William Henry Harrison, died in office of pneumonia. He served the shortest term of any U.S. president. How long did he serve? It was only one month. George Washington's oath of office took place at Federal Hall in which American city? It was not Gettysburg. It was actually New York City. And the Columbus's ships were the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, not as John Gruden said or Caliendo said, the Ninja, the Pinto, and the Santa Monica. Phil Mackey has re-entered the room, and so we, we will not tell you what Gregory got. We will just start with the questions for you, young and man. And feel free to talk as much trash as you need, Gregory. Oh, this is <laughs> going to be a disaster. These are some of my I'm, some of my I'm worst grades. Some, I'm going to need some help from the punk. I would have... Uh, I, I'm imagining help will come. All right. <laughs> Question number uh, one. Bad. We just go to commercial break, actually. <laughs> you know, Greg, you're, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Gregory. Yeah, you want a Royce and Mackie koozie. He's going to win something either way. So you know, we don't even need to do this, right? We'll, we'll just We'll come give back. you two koozies. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. No, but yes. Independence Day was first established as a holiday by Congress in what year? Multiple choice. 1776. 1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1848-1
Yes! You got it right. Oh my god! He was not <laughs> Do you Gregory thinks the game's fixed and I might Are agree you serious? With, I can understand why he might think that. Are you are you sure your headphones weren't tuned into the no, station? I swear to God. I mean, oh, I know AM doesn't come in great all the time, but what the heck? I figured you guys would be it would be way too obvious for John Hancock to be one of these answers, right? There it is. I figured I wanted somebody to get something right. Nope. I had to make can sure. I, name, I can name a couple others on that list. Now Gregory, no. now you got your chance. Benjamin, yep. you're going to oh. get your chance. Let's go to the third question. If you would allow us to get through the questions here and get done with the show, maybe. Sorry, I'm really excited. Of the first five U.S. presidents, which two signed the Declaration of Independence? Multiple choice. George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe. Two of them signed it? Two of them signed it. Uh, Give them to me again. George Washington, John Adams, Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe. Jefferson for sure signed it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was I don't think George Washington signed it so the other two would be so I'm gonna I'm eliminating for myself I'm not saying you guys have to say it's right or wrong I'm eliminating I'm taking Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. I'm eliminating George Washington the other ones were John Adams and who James Madison James Monroe oh there's three other ones I'm yes gonna... yep you're left with three John mm-hmm. Adams John Adams and, and Thomas Jefferson <laughs> Oh snap! Yeah, they got Woo! Beat by the punk. Greg, Gregory, yeah, it it's done. Do you want to go through the rest? I mean, I don't know if I should. You're I'm, up two to one right now. <laughs> wow, it's up to you. I, I paid attention go, a little go bit. Through the rest. I'm All right. Wow. The ninth president of the U.S., William Henry Harrison, died in office of pneumonia. He served the shortest term of any U.S. president. How long did he serve? A week, a month, six months, a year. Um, a month. He made it a month. He did he make it? Oh, a month? Yeah, yeah. It's literally a complete. You're starting to clean literally up. Complete guess. This is like cleaning up. This, was, this reminds oh. me of my my Spanish uh, entrance exam into college, where it was 40 questions, like a placement exam. Yeah. And I guessed on half of them, and like <laughs> guessed correctly enough to get to some ridiculous Spanish. Let's keep going. George Washington's oath of office took place at Federal Hall in which American city? It's harder when it's not multiple choice. So uh, guess that. Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brookings, South Dakota. Fort Myers. Um, yeah. Down spring training. I mean, is it I'm just is, is it are you trying to throw me off? Is it Washington DC? Okay. New York is City. New York City. New York okay. City. Despite what Frank Caliendo's John Gruden says, Christopher Columbus's ships that sailed to America were not named the Ninja, the Pinto, and the Santa Monica. <laughs> what were their names? I would have had the Santa Maria is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have got all three. Is it the, is the May- close. No, the Mayflower is a different ship. That's a pilgrim. That's a pilgrim. Yeah, <laughs> Hold on, it's, but isn't it? Isn't isn't pin, is Pinto one of them? Pinto. Is that your final answer? Pinto, Santa Maria. I can't remember the other one. All right. Uh, oh. Santa Maria is correct. It's the Pinta. The Pinta. The Pinta. The Nina. The Nina. The Nina. Yes. Okay. Yes. Is there another question? No. No. That's sorry. It. That's Congratulations. It. So four out of six or Ooh. three out of six. Ain't bad. That's it. Yep. Good, Good job, Gregory. You're still gonna win, Gregory. You're gonna win. You're gonna win something. Uh, how many did Gregory get right? One. Just the one. You got the nailed one. The, uh, the two of the five that signed the document. Listen. Mm-hmm. Don't don't mess with an American history. Buff like me, okay, Gregory? <laughs> yeah, I, I I wanted it as a challenge. <laughs> well, you got that. Yeah. And more. Yeah, whatever, Gregory. We'll See you Gregory later. Bye. <laughs>
All right, Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Mackie and Judd now continue. You got to act excited. You got a gift. You got to act excited. But some of you are going. What, what, what? On 1500 ESPN. Get United match reactions plus MLS news straight from the team this Tuesday. Adrian Heath and Jamie Watson will be at Brits Pub downtown Minneapolis for a live Adrian Heath show broadcast from 6 to 7. It's presented by Heineken. Come watch the show. Talk soccer with the guys. Win prizes and more details are at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Again, that's Tuesday, 6 to 7. The Adrian Heath show at Brits Pub downtown. Okay, I, I just saw this story come across the Star Tribune. Parker Hageman from from Twins Daily sent this out. Mm-hmm. Did you know there's such a thing called plant parents? Like there's there's cat people and dog parents and actual parents. Sure. But new shop brings. Hold on a second. Star Tribune wants me to sign up for something. Let me close that. Uh, new shop. <laughs> Please bring, tell us where you are right now. <laughs> New shop brings the millennial cactus craze to Minneapolis. Millennials are becoming plant parents and opting for some of the easiest care plants available, which are cacti. I don't know. Like, do you, you have to water them what once every? I was going to say they might once every six months. You put some water it in it. And don't get pricked. I was going to say they they might be prickly. Yeah. Stepping inside the new Madre Cacti Shop in Northeast Minneapolis is yeah. like landing in the desert. The air is hot and dry. The sun beats in through big windows, and there are cactus plants everywhere. The line, uh, they line the floorboards, sit on display by the window, and fill terracotta pot on racks and the floor. Varieties range from spiny, green-leafed fans to one with brown, stick-like arms. There are plump, there are skinny, etc., etc. Dressed head-to-toe in denim with a thick beard and mustache, owner Eric Hamlin matches his desert-chic store aesthetic. How do you guys feel about this new craze, plant parents? So these people are buying these plants and claiming that they're their kids, like this whole plant parent thing? Well, a, a 2016 National yeah. Gardening Survey found that 5 million of the 6 million Americans who took up gardening were between the ages of 18 and 34. So it's like millennials apparently are all in on gardening. And they don't want to have And they don't want to do all the work, so they want cacti. And they don't want of, kids, and now they don't want pets, so they just want to have cactuses. So it's plant parenthood is what you're saying. Wow. There it is, right there. That's it. That's the line. <laughs> Ordinarily, once that starts, we get more lines, so keep them coming. No, I'm good. At what price do you think they'll go at? <laughs> I'm not going to do that for you, Judd. You want to? No, you're the one who claimed you hated it. Now you're requesting it, all right? If you're going to give me that write that down point from months ago, I'm willing to take it. Uh, no, I can't do that. Sorry. I'm not giving that back. <laughs> no, no, I really didn't enjoy it that much. But. So does the story literally say millennials don't want kids, so they're replacing them with these cacti? I, I didn't see anything. I think that, the, so. They don't want kids. I've, I think. I think when millennials are waiting, like they wait longer to have I've kids. I've read. I've read stories that the millennials are not reproducing at at the rate of past generations. So That's, I think this is the next step in saying. But I don't even want a dog or cat now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to clean up poop or pee. So now I just want a plant. So I'm 33, almost 34. I've got a kid. I've got a dog. I've got plants inside, a couple plants inside the house, but outside we've got the peppers going. We've got the tomatoes. We got a couple zucchini and we've got a cucumber plant that is just dead as a doornail. Didn't make it past the stage. I put it in the ground. So that means, does that mean I'm a failed parent? A little bit. 
Yep. A neglect, huh? I a killed neglect, my child. A neglectful parent. <laughs> I yeah. killed my little cuke. <laughs> uh, it says, the article says, in terms of uh, millennial lifestyles, fewer millennials are okay. buying homes, opting to rent instead, often in cities where outdoor space is limited. House plants offer a touch of nature. They also serve as inexpensive decor. We're so lazy. You can now. pick up a plant for under $10 to add a pop of color, texture, and style to a room. I think we know what the Zolgads are going to be doing God this weekend. God bless this country. Go to the cactus plant store. I, if I could sell my house tomorrow, rent, and, and just buy a plant, I'd be really, really happy. I Why mean, it you? would be lazy, but I'd be happy. Why don't you? Well, I still have the dog. I'm not going to get rid of the dog. Well, you can still take dog the dog outside. Mad. There's dog parks at a lot of these apartments. And Dog's these new- a lot of work, though. I think the kids t- today are right. I think the fact that they're trying to dumb themselves down and, and not work as hard is actually on the right path. If you could teach a dog to use a giant litter box so that you could go away for a couple of days and leave out some food or just the toilet, that would be the that'd be the key. <laughs> teach him to use the toilet. <laughs> you walk in, there's Hey man, there's I'm Stella. Using the bathroom. Stella's just got, the door was locked. got one paw up on the wall. <laughs> the door was locked. <laughs> Wearing readers got the paper. <laughs> Arf. Oh, my God. All right. Mackie and Judd show page, 1500ESPN.com.